0: I want you to uh, look at this picture with me. Some of you may remember that picture. Some of you may not. Some of you remember when the hurricane hit Galveston, Texas in 2008. Now we know there's been other hurricanes since, but this picture was very famous at that time. Because what you see there is one house that remains standing out of 200 in that subdivision. One house remains standing. It was the third costliest hurricane at that time ever to make landfall in the United States. And the costliest hurricane in the history of Texas at that time in 2008. And the days following the hurricane, this aerial photo then started making its way across public airways, across the internet, and across news stations. Everything in the area was flattened, except for that one house out of 200. In fact, that house was standing. It was so unusual that people started questioning, go, that's not a real picture. Somebody doctored that up using some computer software to make that actually happen. And Aaron Reed, a spokesman for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, confirmed that only the Adams home, Adams home survived on that golf side beach. Reed also said, I thought if I were to ever build a house on a coast, I'm going to get that contractor to build my house. Today we begin a new series of messages I'm calling Jesus Stories. Parables from Jesus. And the parables I'm going to be sharing today and over the next three weeks, they are directly um, Jesus communicating to those who are Christ followers. Those who claim and believe in the message of Jesus. And so I share that with you because maybe today you're here and you're investigating things of faith. You're at a good point because you get a chance to hear what the call is of Christ if we're going to follow Him. But I know that probably most of us in this room have already made that decision. And so the words we're going to dive into today and over the next few weeks hit close to home to all of us because Jesus really lays out a challenge to us how to live in Him, and what it means to be one of His disciples, one of His followers. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. The greatest teacher of all time, Jesus, He used stories or parables to teach us about life and how to live in Christ. So we're going to go on this journey the next three weeks to learn what does it mean, how do we put Christ at the center of, Of life. And that's part of our mission that we connect people with Christ and we help them center their lives on Jesus. So that means 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Jesus is the center of my life. That means that He is the one that sets the direction for my life. He is my compass, so to speak. Our story today deals with how we're building life. Are we building it wisely or are we building it foolishly? Are we building upon a foundation that would stand a storm or are we building upon a foundation when a storm comes? Life will be destroyed. Our story today Jesus asks a very penetrating question. Jesus calls for a decisive action and he gives a very dramatic illustration. Let's get to the question that Jesus asks. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? How many of your mom and dads ever said, Would you just do what I say? We all been down that road, you're raising your children, you're like, I'm your mom or dad, you call me mom or dad, would you just do what I say? Jesus saying, you call me Lord, Lord, why don't you do what I say? Jesus just finished delivering the greatest sermon in history, his famous, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talked to the great crowd before him about the kingdom of God and how to inherit the kingdom. He talked about the weightiest matters of time and eternity, the profoundest truths, yet always the simplest, and the words and the ideas. And there was a crowd among him, a lot of them who would claim to be Jesus followers, some who were still investigating. But he's acutely aware that in his audience... There's a lot of people who are just kind of onlookers or observers, people who give kind of lip service. They, they nodded their head in agreement. They, they even probably said their amens in appropriate places. If you ask them what they believe, they probably likely answer, that we follow the greatest rabbi in history, Jesus of Nazareth. But for all of that, Jesus' teaching, which they enjoyed, had no radical impact on their lives. And so Jesus is saying to them, why do you call me Lord but not do what I tell you to do? Jesus understands the frustration of preachers. And we get up and we preach and we teach. And some of you are real good head nodders. Some of you are ameners. And then we walk out the door and good preacher. Good sermon preacher. But what changes in your life? What changes? And Jesus was dealing with exactly that kind of mindset, like, yeah, I like this Jesus guy. Yeah, I like his message. Yeah, that's a good message you brought, Jesus. And then go on living their lives however they wanted to live their lives. So Jesus ends his greatest sermon, and he closes with an appeal. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say to do? Why do that? If Jesus is Lord of our lives, then all we... Ought we be obedient to what he says? That's what he's saying. He said, if you call me Lord, Lord, then that means you shall be obedient to what I want you to do. This passage corresponds with what was recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. It said this way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Three things immediately strike me about these poor people who are going to stand bewildered one day before Christ, found wanting in on the day of judgment. First of all, they cry out, Lord, Lord. These these are obviously the ones who thought everything was all right. They obviously thought they had it all together. And on a day of judgment, to stand and say, Lord, 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 Lord. A fearful thing going, you you know me, God. They they know the lingo. They know the inside church and knees. They know all the inside language. You ever notice how every organization has an inside language? If you talk to computer people, they start talking. You're like, what'd you just say? You go talk to a car guy or a car lady. You're like, can you explain that again for me? Because you want it to be somebody, every organization has an inside lingo. And we in the church have an inside lingo. And these people know the lingo. They could speak the lingo as clear as possible. And they called themselves his followers. But on a day of judgment, Jesus said, you're going to stand and you're going to cry out, Lord, Lord. And then notice in the text it says, they are many of them. There's many of them. Not just a few, but there's many of them. The word here in the Greek is polio, the same word used to describe the multitudes that flock to hear Jesus. The exact same word, multitudes. In other words, many, multitudes will stand before the day of judgment and go, Lord, Lord, and cry out. Many will be in that spot. That's frightening. That's a little scary in our world today when we say, well, just be good, just be kind, just love everybody, and everybody's going to heaven. Such a false teaching that's floating around in our society today. And then note their claims. Notice what they say. But but Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Lord, we've done wonders in your names. All these things they're saying are like, look at the ministry we've done. Today it may be like, look, I served in a nursery, I helped in a preschool, I helped at kids' camp, I worked with the teenagers, I preached sermons, I led in the music, I went down to the soup kitchen. Lord, I did all this stuff in your name and all these things, Jesus said, those are all side issues. They're all really non-issues. Jesus says, the real central issue is that I never knew you. Because Jesus wants to know you, and Jesus came to this earth and died on that cross to have a personal relationship with you. and He knows you by name, and He wants that kind of personal relationship. So many at church today, we get caught up in all these. Side issues, giving them more priority than the scriptures do, is things like, well, I want to feel or experience God. Or I want to have blank, you fill in a blank at my church. My church must have this or this or this. Or I want the preacher and the leaders to do more of this and this and this. Or I want this. And if you notice, a lot of that comes back to what I want and what I desire, and what will make me happy, and what will make me feel good, and we start this whole I thing, and then it gets in the way, and many are looking for great signs, and great miracles, and great wonders, and through the years of ministry, people say, well, Peter, I'm leaving. I just don't feel that the Spirit's at your church. I'm just not sensing God's move there, because it's what I want to experience. We get distracted with feelings, and experiences, and desires things that, that we see are most important and we need to be careful not to be put emphasis on one part of Scripture or these things and these feelings and these experiences and get so involved and get our attention away from following Jesus. Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. But he also said in Matthew 12, and even an a. Even a An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. That's a little pointed, so to speak, from Jesus. And we're looking for that. Church, we don't follow after signs. They follow us when we follow Jesus. And Jesus is asking a question. Are you really going to follow me? See, what we must understand from Matthew 7 is, is that miracles do not necessarily mean That God approves of the person who's performing them. you got to stop and think on that for a moment. Do you realize that? That Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 through 5 reveals that God may actually allow miracles to test his people to see whether they really love the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, or whether they're clamoring after anyone who seems to have power. In other words, are you following the person or are you following Jesus Christ? You start to see that in several examples in Scripture. Don't look to signs and wonders and proof for ministry or a preacher or a prophet or whatever. God used wicked Balaam to get his message across. God used Balaam's donkey to get his message across. The vile high priest Caiaphas was used by God to prophesy that Jesus would die for all the people. You wouldn't have wanted to follow him. But God still used them. The wicked magicians of Pharaoh's court in Egypt duplicated many of the miracles that Moses commanded. But you wouldn't want to follow them. The evil sons of Sceva and Acts 19 cast out demons. And by no means would we say, well, I'm going to follow them. And so we've got to be careful who we're following. And the way to be careful who you're following is don't follow no human, no man. Follow Jesus. Because Jesus says sometimes it's hard for us to know. It's hard for us to know what's going on inside of that person. So don't be deceived. Watch your life. Watch it closely. So there will be many who will cry out, Lord, Lord. But his reply to them will be, I never knew you. Those are some hard words. That we're going to stand one day and say, Lord, Lord, but look at all the stuff I did for you. And he said, but I never knew you you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness, that's right. They're indicted for their lawlessness. People who claim him as Lord. People who prophesy, who cast out demons, who do wonders. In Luke 46, 646, again, look again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I, that's Jesus. Why do you not do what I say? It's pretty simple. Know Jesus. Listen to his word, and then do what he says it's a tragedy for any person to have their hands, to have in their hands the teaching of Jesus, to have in their hands the living word of God, and then lay aside those instructions for minor issues. For I want this feeling, I want that experience, I want that to happen, I want this to happen, and neglect the basics of growing your relationship with Jesus and following him. Can it really happen? It surely does. A lot of people have been sidetracked by some of the minor, smaller issues of life in their walk with Jesus. To do what Jesus commanded, it takes all of your attention, it takes all of your energy, it takes the whole rest of your life saying, I'm going to work at pursuing Jesus and make sure that I am following Jesus. We see then that Jesus asks a very penetrating question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do the things I say? And then he goes on in verse 47 with a very decisive action. As for anyone who comes to me and here's my words and puts them into practice. I'll show you what they are like. Here we read about the action that Jesus is calling for each one of us. He says everyone. So he doesn't say some people. He doesn't say a few people. He doesn't say just the women or just the men or just this, uh, this country or just that country. He says everyone who comes to me. So here's the first step. But it's a continual step is that we must step towards him. We, we must come to him. He's already come to us in the form of the cross and given his life for us. He's already made that step, and so we take the step to come to him, and every person must come to him for themselves. You can't rely upon, well, my grandma's faith or my dad's faith or my mom's faith. It's an individual faith, and then we come to him, and we keep coming back to him every single day, keeping him as our focus, trusting him as Savior and Lord. He's saying that those who come to me are not coming to every voice talking on the airwaves at every single moment, not coming to the latest Christian guru on the television or online, not, not the latest book or the latest fad that's making the rounds. Whoever comes to me is what Jesus said. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes and abides at my feet, whoever follows my way, whoever does what I want them to do. Now turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, here's a beautiful picture that gives me some great encouragement. John 10 says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You ever had someone come and say, Well, you need to read this book. It's a great spiritual book, teach about Jesus. You you need to listen to this preacher. You need to get online and watch this certain person. You ever done that? And then you listen to her, you're reading, you're like, Wait a minute, I'm not sure that really aligns with Scripture. You ever had that problem? It's encouraged me when people have had that conversation. They say, Brian, I read this book. I'm not really sure it's a good book for people to read. Or, Brian, I was this preacher. Boy, he was way off. I don't know where he was getting his stuff at because that's not what I see in my Bible. Why? Because if you know the shepherd's voice, then you know what false teaching looks like. I was talking to some church planters one time who planted churches out in Utah in the, basically the hub of false teaching. I said, you study the different religions out there? They said, no, we don't need to study those religions. I said, you don't study them? No, we just study Jesus. And then we recognize when it's a false religion because it doesn't align with Jesus. You know, you hear that sometimes. Well, I need to know what this religion says and what that religion says and what this religion teaches. No, you don't. You need to know what Jesus says so that you listen to His voice so when someone comes knocking at your door, knock, 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 can we talk? Can I share with you our message? And when they start sharing that message, you can go, listen, that's not of God. That's not the same godly message that I understand. See, unfortunately, Christians do get deceived. They get sidetracked. We've got to be on our guard at all times. You, You tell me... Which are the sheep that got picked off by prowling enemies? Which ones are the ones that get picked off by the wolves? They're always the ones on the fringes. They're always the ones who hang out. It's like the crowd is over here, but I'm not going to be part of that crowd. I'm going to kind of hang out over here. I I don't want to be inside of that sheep pen where all their sheep are hanging out because they're kind of smelly and stinky and they bump into each other. I want to do things on my own. The ones who are out here doing things on their own are the ones who get picked off by the wolves. And Jesus said, you hear my voice. What we should desire is I want to get in the middle of that sheep pen, the middle of the church. I want to be there. I want to be in the middle of Bible. Study. I want to be in the middle of worship. I, when the door's open, I want to be here. When Christians are gathering, I want to be part of that so that I'm not out here where the wolves of this world can just kind of easily pick me off and deceive me and kind of take me away from my faith in God and my faith in Jesus. So you need to keep a close relationship well, Jesus, as close as possible, we get right in the middle of it. Leads us to the second action that Jesus wants us to take. He says, whoever comes to me, and then he says, and hears my words. So we come to him, we take a step. All right, Jesus, I'm stepping towards you. And basically he's telling you, then open up your ears. Whoever comes and hears, the 2nd that's the second thing. Where do we do this? The primary way you hear from God is to be in his word. You've got to open your Bible. You've got to spend time reading your Bible, digesting your Bible, praying inside of your Bible. You've got to use your Bible. The Scriptures are absolutely the primary, fundamental way that God speaks to us today, folks. It's the primary way. and You've got to open up your Scriptures. We need to be consistently in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. I have discussions with the people sometimes Preacher, I'm really struggling in my faith. I'm struggling. I'm not really growing. I don't know why I'm not growing. And you can look at them straight in the eyes and say, tell me about your time in God's Word. Ah, oh, that happens some. That's why you're not growing. We know that. We know that from an exercise standpoint. Man, I'm putting all this weight on. I can't lose any weight. And you go to the doctor. The doctor says, well, tell me about your exercise program. Oh, I do one sit-up a day. I get up and I go to bed every day. Doctors are like no wonder you're not losing any kind of weight, because we know we're not exercising. We know we're putting the wrong things into our stomach. Be careful not to just be reading what others have written about Scripture. Major warning for you. I'm I'm firmly convinced that your main reading as a Christian should be the Bible. Boy, if we had devour the Bible like we do blogs and, and internet posts and, and, and romance novels and, and mystery novels, if we would devour the Bible like that, what would this world be like today? If we say, you know what, what about just taking a month? What about just taking the month of July and say, you know, I'm not going to read nothing but the Bible. When I open up a book to read, it's going to be the Bible. That's what I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the sports page. I'm not going to read some blog. I'm going to open the Bible. I'm going to turn off Facebook. I'm going to turn off Twitter. I'm going to get rid of all that and just read God's word. Everything else must be secondary. It's the number one way that God will minister you. It's the number one way that God speaks to you. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that most of all that God will ever say to you will be in his word. See, you're not in the word, you won't hear his voice. Because he will not substitute his word with something else for the benefit of the busy person. He just doesn't. See, part of the reason I think the phenomenal growth of Christian bookstores have grown in the last 15, 20, 30 years is because we live in a fast food society. We live in a fast food society, so instead of us diving into the scriptures and saying, what does the scripture say about marriage? What does the scripture say about prayer? What does the scripture say about money? What does the scripture say about stress? What does the scripture say about you fill in the blank? We say, let's go to the bookstore. They have some book about five ways to pray. They have some book about ten ways to have a better marriage. And we go and grab those verses saying, let's get to God's word where the answers are right there. Because we want it to be fast food. We want it now, 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 versus taking the time to be in God's Word and to study God's Word and allow it to really penetrate into our hearts and minds. Every now and again, I meet some Christians who they say they don't read the Bible very much. They tell me they love to sit in silence. They love to sit in silence and just listen for God's voice to speak. I've got to be honest with you. That frightens me. It's a warning to you. If you think, you know what, I just love to sit in silence. I'm not going to read the Bible much. Because I guarantee you're going to hear a voice, but it may not be the voice of God. The only way you know if it's the voice of God is if it lines up with Scripture. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not the voice of God. It's maybe your growling stomach or it's Satan working on your mind. Here's the the positive side of what I'm saying. God has been so gracious to put His words in our hands. And so gracious that we have people with technology that you don't have to carry around a big Bible. You can just put it on your device and have it with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right in your hand. So why would he need anything else? So the answer is to get in his word. Jesus says, whoever comes to me and hears my words, and leads to the third part of this decisive action he calls us to take. He says, and does them. So we're not just hearers, but we're also doers. There must be a response to Jesus' words, and the response is obedience. I know, that's hard in today's culture to hear that. We don't want to be obedient to anybody. Nobody wants to be obedient to the laws of the land, be obedient to the police. Kids don't want to be obedient to parents. Parents don't want to make kids be obedient. That's why our world is where it is today, because we lack obedience. And then in the church, they say, wait a minute, you've got to be obedient to somebody. That means somebody has to be in charge of me. That means I have to let them be in charge. That means I have to let Jesus be in charge. And do I really want to be obedient? We know, again, as parents, to make that illustration, We know when we're guiding our children, what do we want? We want obedience. We don't want half obedience. We don't want uh, partial obedience. We want 100% obedience. How are we doing in that area? Absolute obedience is central to having a growing faith in Jesus. All these other things flow out of being obedient. All the other things, if you think about it, the, the main requirement is not knowledge. The main requirement is not ability. The main requirement is not ministry. It's not gifting. It's not vision. It's not anointing. All those things are okay when we operate from a place of obedience first. And then allow ministry to flow out of obedience. Allow knowledge to flow out of obedience. Allow your abilities to flow, flow out of obedience. Allow vision to flow out of obedience. Being obedient to Jesus first. First. All the talk and all the good intentions in the world are no substitute for obedience. Great knowledge, no substitute. So-called spirituality, no substitute. In fact, there is no true spirituality without obedience. Obedience to Jesus. Living the life that Jesus laid down for us to live. Following in his footsteps and obeying his commands. Jesus says, come to me. Hear my words and then do them. You know that sounds really familiar with what James has said. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but what? Do what it says. James is just repeating exactly what Jesus said. And so we come to our third and final aspect of this account. And that's the dramatic illustration that Jesus uses. Luke chapter 6, verse 48, he said, I'll show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus loved to teach using pictures. Little short stories like that. Little tiny parables. He was a master at some of Jesus' pictures make an impression upon your mind for a lifetime. This is one of those pictures that Jesus contrasts us, uh, the, the picture of a house with a solid foundation or a solid rock uh, uh, compared to the house that is built upon the sand. The picture has taken place in my heart and my mind for many, many years. I, I've read the scriptures many times, I've heard them taught, I've heard them preached. When I was a child, we would sing about that. I mean, that's. That whole illustration has been something that's been drilled into my mind. And then when we built this building right here, watching the builders start working on the foundation and being out here on the property and talking about how they build the foundation and how deep they go and why they go so deep and, and all the, bar, and all the um, material that is used inside of it. And then watching as we do the addition and watching how slow of a process it is. You know, the foundation takes a long time to put it all in. That doesn't happen quick. The walls go up on anything really quick. The walls, the roof, all that goes up really fast. It's a slow process because you want the foundation to be right. You want the foundation to be right whether you're building a home or building a church building like this. You want the foundation to be right because you want it to stand for a lifetime. We had our house built 14 years ago. I watched as you're putting in the foundation and putting up the concrete walls because like, if I'm in this house for 15 or 20 years, I don't want to start seeing lots of cracks in my walls and doors not closing right and windows that aren't closing right because that all is a sign the foundation's not right. See, when things start happening above ground for us, when stress is happening, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I want to take life into my own hands. I'm going to try to control all of it. We start doing those kind of things, you start going, man, what's going on at my foundational level? What's going on in the parts where people cannot see? Laying the foundation correctly, it's tough, it's hard, it's long, it's exhausting, but it's essential. It's essential to our faith as well. Jesus challenges followers here to lay their lives only Only upon a foundation, a bedrock, namely the foundation of his word. He says, If you come to me and you hear my words and you put them into practice, you are like a man who is building upon a deeply dug foundation upon a bedrock. What's your life being built upon today? You stop and just spend some time right here in this room doing a little bit of evaluation between you and God. What are you building your life upon? And you can't afford to skimp on the foundation of life. You can't afford to skimp on it. There's no substitute for obedience to the great priorities of the Bible. While others may be going uh, after other side issues, majoring into minors, we have need to, again, to come back to the foundation and make sure the foundation is right. And that's what Jesus is calling his followers to. We are here to hear the great priorities of God. And we need to know those priorities. say, well, how do I build that foundation? It's, there's some simple ways in Scripture. I don't have time today to get, in all, get into all the examples with Scripture. But let me just tell you quickly, holiness. You've got to pursue holiness. That's a foundation that I'm going to get things out of my life that are not of God. Television shows I watch, things I look at on the Internet, music that I'm listening to. If it's unholy, get it out of your life and say, God, I want no part of it. Avid daily daily reading in God's Word. You've got to be opening your Bible if you want to grow in Christ, you want a foundation in Christ. And I know a lot of you in this room right now, just like what Jesus was dealing with. I got you. Okay. And we go home and we don't do it. Because we get distracted by life. We get distracted by busyness. We get distracted by technology and television. Prayer has got to be a foundation. Prayer's got to be a foundation that you drop to your knees before your heavenly father and you spend time seeking his direction for life. You take your concerns and your worries and your, your doubts and your joys, you take it all to him in prayer. Fellowship with the body has got to be a foundation. What you're doing here today is of utmost importance. The Hebrew writer says, do not neglect the gathering together. I commend you for being here today in the middle of summer. But we in the church in America has made this gathering just kind of a sidestep. I'll make it if I can. It should be flipped the other way and go, this is our priority, and my Bible study that I'm in is a priority. That takes place over what I want to do on a Sunday or what I want to do during Bible study or my kids' activities, whatever activity that is. Parents, I would love for us to stand up and say, son or daughter, I'm sorry, you're going to miss your practice. You're going to miss a game because we're going to worship first. I love my mom and dad taught me that. I didn't like it when I was a teenager. I didn't like it when we were going to a regional basketball tournament. We were going to state basketball tournament. My coach called practices on Sundays. I said, Mom, i got to go to practice. I can't go to church. She said, you aren't going to practice. I said, i got to go to practice. I won't be able to play. She said, if you're good enough, you'll play. If not, you'll be all right. <clears throat> Hated it as a teenager. You know, your kids will not die if they miss a sports game. They won't. They won't die. Your kids will not die if they miss out on something. And you will not die if you're late getting to something because you said, you know what, our priority was to worship, and we'll show up a little bit later in the day. Won't. I know, because in this society today, nothing's protected anymore. Absolutely nothing. Used to be Sundays were somewhat protected and Wednesdays were somewhat... Not anymore. Church, I think it's time for us to start changing that and saying to coaches and saying to, to ballet teachers and whoever's taking up our time when we're gathering to say... My child will be there after, after this is done. they will be there. And start changing that swing because we need to fellowship with the body. And what one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. So you stop and think about it. You teach your child right now that worship and gathering in the church can be a casual thing. Oh, let's show up today, not show up today, not show up. And then 10 years from now, you say, why is my kid not in church? Why is it not a priority? Because you taught them. It didn't have to be a priority. You taught them, it can just kind of be a choice version going, you know what, we need to be in worship. We're going to be in church. Church is gathered. We're going to be there. Then they'll make it a priority. So what one generation does in moderation, next generation does in excess. Lastly, if you want to have that solid foundation, you need to have a heart and a mind and a spirit that is working towards winning lost people to Christ. See, if we just take it all in, we just gather in prayer, we, we read God's Word, we, we come to worship, we soak all that in, we become like a stinky, sour sponge. The way we get wrung out is we go and we serve and we love and we witness to people and tell them about who Christ is. Let me just ask you, you don't have to answer this out loud by no means. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you said, man, can I just tell you what the Lord's been doing in my life? When's the last time you asked somebody, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Not invite them to church. There's a big difference, folks. It's easy to invite people to church. Hey, come to my church. That's that's pretty easy. But to look at somebody and say, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Or to look at somebody and say, do you ever think about eternity? Do you ever think about what's next in life? Because people think about what's next. Do you ever think what's going to happen in life after death? Yeah, I think about that. Well, what do you think about it? Well, I think that we're going to die, and I'm not really sure. Can I tell you what I think about it? Can I tell you what I understand about it? And where my understanding comes from? You start having those kinds of conversations, the conversations of faith? Is that part of your life? How many of you feel that you've got these basic things completely in control? Sure, we don't feel that way, do we? None of us feel like, man, I got that, that holiness thing. Man, I just got it all knocked out. I'm there. None of us probably say, Man, you know what that Bible reading thing, man, I'm doing it, Brian. I, I wake up in the morning and I read the Bible. I go to lunch and it's break time, I read the Bible, I come home, I read the Bible, I sit my family down at the table and read the Bible. We turn off the television every single night. We just read the Bible. And the Bible is Enough. we don't, we don't have it, do we? Every single one of us in this room, we're honest with ourselves. Saying, man, I, need some, I need to get better at praying. I need more of that. I need to be in the world a little bit more. I need to work on that holiness thing. Fellowship with the body. Man, I, can, I can raise that up. Winning a friend, sharing it. Yeah, we, we need all that. I would suggest that the most honest Christian would say, no, I need these basic things. So why on earth will we go down side streets when there's so much to do on the fundamentals? The fundamentals. Remember playing basketball? And our coach would make us shoot layup after, layup, after layup, after layup, after layup, after layup. And we knew, here comes the drill, doing a layup, doing a layup. And inevitably, the coach is getting on you because, nope, you lifted the wrong foot or you held your hand the wrong way. You did something improper. And then we go to the free throw line. And we shoot free throw after free throw after free throw until you're sick and tired. Why? Because they knew you're not going to win a basketball game if you don't know the fundamentals, Same thing in your walk with Christ. If you don't practice the fundamentals, the foundation is going to be shaky at best. And the fundamentals have to be practiced over and over and over and over. Jesus said the foundation determines how well the house will stand. To the casual observer, both the house on the rock and the house on the sand look alike. Both may be impressive. You can bring up another man standing beside me, bring up another lady standing beside me, and we all say, well, we're Christ followers, and we all look the same. We all maybe look impressive. But what's really impressive to Jesus is what's going on on the inside and how's your foundation. And what reveals the difference is when storms hit. When a storm hits, then you know what kind of foundation you have? Jesus said, when a storm came and beat upon the house, the one on the rock stood, and the one on the sand came quickly crashing down. What are the storms, Jesus speaking of, that we face? There are the storms of life. He's talking about the storms of life. You know what I mean? When you've experienced, experienced some of them already, when you face death, you face financial ruin, you face someone walking out on a marriage, you face a health crisis, The things that happen to you that you say, I didn't plan for that. I didn't want that. I didn't invite that. When persecution comes your way, when simple disappointments and hardships, if the foundation isn't right, then the house won't stand. And that's when you'll shake your fist at God and say, why, God? Or that's when you'll turn your back and say, fool. Fool on you, God. I forget you. I've known many. And sadly, I've even known preachers who did not lay the foundation properly. And when a storm and everything came tumbling down around them, their life fell apart. Jesus' call today in our scriptures, make sure your foundation is being laid squarely upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. Pay great attention to the detail. Leave no stone unturned Examine your life to see if there be anything else that's not part of God's Word, it's part of your life, then get rid of it and be like the wise man building your life upon a rock. I want to go back to that picture that we started with today. Look at that picture of destruction. Look at that house. But now in that that picture, replace that with your life. If this was life for you, would you still be standing just like that house or would you be in shambles and a wreck just like everything else in that neighborhood? It's hard to know because until that happens... But are you practicing the fundamentals? I believe if you're practicing the fundamentals, when those storms come, you'll be just like that house. You'll be standing. As long as those fundamentals are built upon Jesus Christ as your solid foundation.